Welcome back to Good Monsters. My name is Cody Lawrence, and this is episode 22. 22. A pig in a poke. Uh, you will understand soon enough. This is a blog cast, which I have done before, where I read uh, my writing, which could be a, a blog post if I had one. <laughs> Um, and I'm really curious if you like this format. You can message me on Instagram if you like this better or if you like the more freeform speaking about a topic better. So let's get into the episode. Thank you for listening and supporting, liking and subscribing anywhere you can and sharing with friends. Let's get into the episode. <laughs> in a poke. In the 1800s, unscrupulous farmers came up with a clever way to scam people in the marketplace who were wanting to buy meat. Oftentimes, meat would be sold in a sack of some kind. In this case, the dishonest farmers would sometimes say they are offering a small suckling pig in a sack, a relatively uncommon and expensive meat at the time, for a high price. At least, it was more expensive and uncommon than other kinds of animals that were around, like cats and dogs. So, the chump buys the sack of meat, expecting to have a nice pork dinner when they get home, and they are shocked and disappointed to see, instead of a pig, a cat or a small dog. This was also where the idiom, let the cat out of the bag, came from. Similarly, many Christians go out into the world hawking their Christian love and displaying their Christian good deeds in the marketplace, hoping that some poor sap will buy what they're selling for some high price of their soul. And in return, they receive some treasure stored up in their bank in heaven and some earthly accolades in the form of a tick mark on the how many people have I loved today board and some congratulations from their fellow scammers for hitting their daily quota. Skip back to the buyer. They get home, open the bag, and it turns out it's a skinned cat. They're appalled, throw the bag in the garbage where it belongs, and then swear off buying anything from those crummy Christians ever again. Word gets around that the cat-selling Christians are conning people, and they absolutely cannot believe their ears. How in the world could people be accusing them of such a thing? The audacity. They have the finest goods imaginable. And it's wrapped up in the nicest, fanciest, sequin-covered satchel that tithing can buy. I mean, maybe it's a cat, but who cares? The bag is gorgeous, and we're calling it Christian love. In other words, the scam worked so well, even they thought that they were selling the real deal. Hate and love can come in the same wrapper. Bear with me here. I am not disparaging Christian love. I am disparaging things that deceptively try to look like Christian love. Love is a weird thing. It can look very different depending on what it's doing or where it's coming from. Here are some examples. Is flinging an insult a loving act? Well, Jesus did it to the Pharisees all the time. 
He loved truth and loved God and therefore hated sin. His insult was a reflection of his perfect goodness. Love insults sin. But also, an insult could very easily be unloving. Like if you insult a friend in order to feel superior to him. Another silly example, giving up your seat on a bus to a blind person. Is that loving? Yeah, sure, probably so. It sounds nice enough. But giving up your seat to a blind person is certainly not loving if you're the bus driver. It could be deadly to him, yourself, and everyone else on the bus. How about shooting someone? If they invade your home, you have a family to protect. Fire away. But if you lose your temper and get angry at someone for no good reason and decide to take it out on them by shooting them, no way. Love defends what it loves, and love hates opposition to what it loves. So as you can hopefully see, it's not necessarily the action itself that is loving or unloving. So what is it then? How do we tell if we or another person is being loving or unloving, if it's hard to tell just by looking at the action? I'm arguing that it's what lies behind the action. We can make this even more difficult to determine in a situation like this. Say, a Christian is speaking to a non-Christian about Jesus. The non-Christian is just not having it. None of the arguments that the Christian is using are apparently working. The non-believer clearly has it out not only to shame the Christian, but to make it known that belief in a bearded man in the sky and people who come back to life is not only a fairy tale, but one exclusively believed by idiots. This frustrates the Christian, and he hates the blasphemer right back. He's going straight to hell, and it's the Christian's job to let him know that. A jerk like him deserves hell after all. And how much more sweet will it be, knowing that whenever he gets sent there, he'll be able to look back at this conversation and say, Ouch, that guy sure showed me. So, the Christian lets him have it right back with a final coup de grace where he shouts about how much hotter hell will be for him and, although he's a little less sincere about this part, also tells the guy, may God have mercy on his soul. When examining the heart of the Christian in this story, he is clearly not being loving. He is preaching truth, not in love, but in hate. The conversation may have started because he wants to see this stranger end up in heaven, but after seeing how much of a jerk this guy was, his motive quickly changed into preaching him the gospel just so he knows what's coming to him. Consider this parallel story. Imagine the exact same things happened leading up to the first story. The Christian is having a conversation with the non-Christian trying to get him to see the truth. The non-Christian starts to get aggressive because he hates what the Christian is telling him and hates the Christian too. But this time, the Christian does not hate him back. This time, the Christian stays calm and takes all of the insults on the chin. The Christian continues loving this man and would still like to see him repent and worship God alongside him in heaven. After all, the Christian realizes that he too sins, and any sin is an affront to his creator. The Christian tries his best to share with the non-believer Jesus, but he's not having it. The Christian this time 
lovingly emphasizes the reality of hell and the eternal torment therein reserved for all sinners. But Jesus is his way out of that. He shares in love that, in fact, hell will be hotter for those who have heard the gospel and have denied it directly and lovingly wishes the man mercy from God. They part ways after they both say what they meant to say. So there wasn't much of a functional difference in either story except for what was going on in the heart of the Christian. And as a result, perhaps there will be a change in what happens in the heart of the non-believer. But even if the result ends up being identical in the heart of the non-believer in both stories, denial and rebellion, the Christian in the first story was in rebellion too. Exactly the same things were said, but in the second story, he said them in love and therefore he was not in sin. Regardless of if everything he said came out perfectly or landed on the non-believer perfectly. This is what grace from God is. This may be hard for some of us to grasp because we tie consequence so closely with our moral actions. If someone says something offensive, it must be bad. It doesn't matter if they said it lovingly or not. Well, this simply isn't true. As we saw earlier with the prophets, disciples, and Jesus himself, they preached an offensive gospel, but they preached it in love. Stephen preached that the Jews rejected their Savior. He told the high priest and the rest of the lot that they were stiff-necked and were uncircumcised in their hearts and ears, and he was killed for it. Acts 7. As the council dragged him out of the city, and as they pelted him with stones for the truth he spoke, breaking his bones, caving in his skull, his blood staining the dirt, Stephen, before he was knocked unconscious, prayed for their forgiveness. Would Stephen have done it any differently if he knew the result? I don't think so. Because his Savior, who he loved and feared more than anyone and anything else, was nailed to a cross and murdered. Stephen's speech didn't appear loving. It appeared unloving, most of all, to the people he was speaking to. But it was loving, regardless of how it looked or how it was received. His love ignited the council's hate. The high priest, sure, would not have called Stephen loving in that moment, but who cares what the high priest thinks? <laughs> Hateful people love to point out something loving and call it unloving. What they mean is, I don't like that thing you did, and I'll label it as one of the worst things possible to accuse a person of, breaking the second of Jesus' great commandments. All the while, they're the ones breaking it. If this isn't enough, Jesus himself proclaimed woe unto anyone who all men speak well of, Luke 6.26, because everyone also spoke well of the false prophets. It's the fakes and the frauds who are loved by the world. People who pursue the truth are the ones who are hated by the world. If you are a Christian and you do not have enemies just for speaking the truth, you are being unfaithful to your Lord. However, if you are a Christian and have enemies, it does not necessarily mean you are being faithful. 
A Christian with no enemies is unfaithful, but a Christian with enemies isn't necessarily faithful. This is because you can make enemies for the wrong reasons, but you have to be making enemies for the right reasons. Determining love. Hopefully, I've convinced you so far that it's really hard to figure out if an action is loving. Love is an internal thing, and sometimes it can express itself in a way that seems offensive or hateful when it really isn't. While we can have suspicions, we can't easily tell what's in a person's heart, so we can't just say that something is unloving so easily. That is, unless they are actions which obviously go against Scripture. Those actions are easy to discern. And notice, Scripture is the thing we go back to with every action anyway to determine its love. Because God is the standard of love, not our feelings. To break Scripture is to be unloving towards God and others. The two are synonymous. Loving Jesus means following His commands, John 14, 15. Which also means by necessity, that not following what God outlines in his word as the way we should live is hateful towards him. Not following the Bible is hating God. But that also means that we have to understand scripture properly. And that takes an open heart to the spirit and lots of time in the word and time spent with God and other sincere believers. Because love is an internal thing, and something that none of us do perfectly, that means that we should look at ourselves and our own imperfections in the way we love before criticizing others. You know, specks and logs and all that. Matthew 7, 3. If the council before Stephen thought to themselves for just a few seconds if they were being faithful to God, they may not have murdered a saint. I heard a Paul Washer quote recently. He said, it's usually the most mature Christians who are hit the hardest when they hear a sermon about sin. The more mature you are in your faith, the more you know how broken you are. If you think you're doing pretty well for yourself, that's when you need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. So here's what we need to look like to really say that we're being loving. Here's what should be behind our actions. Here's how we know if our actions are being loving or not. From 1 Corinthians 13, we are patient, kind, not jealous, not boastful, not arrogant, appropriate to the occasion, not selfish, not provoked. We don't hold grudges. We don't love unrighteousness, but rejoice with the truth. Also, love should produce a certain kind of fruit, Galatians 5, 22-23. If we're properly loving God having the Spirit through the works of the Lord Jesus Christ, our actions should be producing these things in us. Aside from more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, to be loving, we have to have these things inside of us. And also to be loving means that it produces these things even more in us. Notice these things are also internal. You can't really tell if a person is being patient based on a single thing that they do. Maybe not even a handful of things that they do. 
but you should be able to tell if a person is being patient over time. This is to say your love should be apparent to the people who are close to you, but your love may not be apparent to the people who aren't, and that's fine. People taking a stroll and stumbling upon Jesus blasting the Pharisees would undoubtedly have thought that that guy isn't being very Christ-like. Conclusion Christians who have knowledge of true love need to do two things. One, we need to be selling pigs, not cats. No matter what the packaging looks like, inside there needs to be the most beautiful, delicious suckling pig on the market. Also, know that the packaging will look different. Yours will look different from your neighbors at the market. Sometimes you'll use burlap and sometimes you'll wrap it up in butcher's paper. And each time it may be wrapped up a little bit differently. If you're selling the good stuff, don't be ashamed of what it's wrapped in or how it's wrapped. Everyone else will be doing something else, and that's fine. Two, Christians are to let the cat out of the bag. If we see our brothers and sisters dishonestly selling cats, if they know it or not, we are to confront them in whatever way that we are able to that aligns with Scripture and make them stop. Also know that it will be offensive to them. No one likes being told they're wrong. But it's not you who are telling them that they're wrong. You're just passing down the word from your boss. From all this, perhaps, we will gain an enemy. If we do, then we are blessed. Matthew 5.10 But if they accept what you say in love and they repent, then they are blessed and you are blessed. James 5.20 Finally, remember that love and hate can come in the same wrapper. But what matters is what's inside. I'll leave you with the same words that Paul, who remember after being saved, shouted down plenty of sinners, left his brothers with in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, 13-14. Be watchful. Stand firm in faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Thank you.